You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows Trio programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former Trio staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with Trio. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Emilia, for that wonderful introduction. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. In this episode, we have the students, alum, and staff of the Trio McNair program at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. This was such a fun episode to create and to be a part of. Uh, we had a panel of six members uh, from the SLU McNair program, uh, and it was such a fascinating experience, not only because we got to hear different voices, but we got to hear and uh, listen to various experience from uh, students, staff, alum, and how each of their experiences have uh, what they've taken away from their from the Trio McNair program. Now, also, this is different in that this is one of our first McNair programs that we've done an interview for. So Trio programs uh, help pre-college. If you're in high school or um, in a, a pre-college setting, uh, it's starting to help you get transition. And then you have Student Support Services who helps you in the first four years of college uh, or through your undergraduate years. And then you have unique programs like the Equal Opportunity Centers and Veterans Upward Bound, Math Science, all of those programs. And then you have the Trio McNair program for students who are seeking a graduate degrees going beyond the bachelor's. So having students on the program to talk about their experiences in the McNair program about research and all of that, you'll get to listen to uh, what they have to say about that. And again, Dr. Jamie Motley and uh, and her staff and then her students, such a wonderful experience. And I really thoroughly enjoyed uh, spending time and listening to their stories, their contributions, and the things they get to look forward to. So coming up in just a bit, the Trio McNair program at SLU. If you would ever like to be featured on Let's Talk Trio, please send us a message via Facebook, Instagram, or email us at Let's Talk Trio, all one word, at gmail.com. Again, that's Let's Talk Trio at gmail.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Student Access and Angelica Villalpando for sponsoring the podcast. You too can be a sponsor. Go over to Patreon and look for Let's Talk Trio. Donate any dollar amount and receive perks like recognition on the podcast. 
If you are a company or organization and would like to sponsor Let's Talk Trio, we do have ad space for you to run an ad on our podcast. Please contact us for rates. Now, without any further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Three, two, one. My next guest on the podcast are from the Ronald E. McNair Post-Baccalaureate Achievement Program at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri, also known as SLU. We have them from the SLU McNair Program. First in our panel is the, S- the SLU McNair Program Director, Dr. Jamie D. Motley, a native of Chicago. Dr. Motley first began working in TRIO as a graduate assistant at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where she earned her master's degree in higher education administration and PhD in educational policy studies. She has held leadership positions at multiple colleges and universities in Illinois, Georgia, Alabama, and Missouri. Dr. Motley began her tenure at St. Louis University in 2014 as a member of the TRIO Student Support Services staff and was promoted to McNair Scholars Program Director in the fall of 2017. In addition to her graduate degree, she holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Journalism from Western Illinois University and is a frequent contributor to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, submitting content about SLU McNair. Welcome, Dr. Jamie Motley, to the Let's Talk TRIO podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Also joining the panel, we have SLU McNair Academic Coordinator, Anthony Parker-Gills, who joined the McNair Scholars Program staff in November of 2017. Prior to that, he was a Relationship Manager post-secondary prep at Big Brothers Big Sisters of Eastern Missouri. He was also a practicum student with TRIO Student Support Services, as well as the TRIO Educational Town Search Program at St. St. Louis University. Like Dr. Motley, Anthony is from Chicago and has a Bachelor of Arts in Criminology and Criminal Justice from Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, and a Master of Social Work from St. Louis University. He is currently pursuing a PhD in higher education at SLU. Welcome Anthony Parker-Gills to the podcast. Also on the podcast is SLU McNair graduate assistant Sunita Manu. Sunita joined the SLU, uh, give me a sec. Sunita joined the SLU McNair staff in September of 2018. She attained her bachelor's degree in psychology and biology from Newman University in 2013, earned her master's degree in public health health from SLU in 2019, and is entering her second year in the PhD program in public health at SLU. In addition to serving as GA to the SLU McNair Scholars Program, she also coordinates the pre-McNair program, Gateway to McNair. Welcome Sunita Manu to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Also appearing on the podcast, we have Hope Conyers, a Belleville, Illinois native and current participant of SLU McNair program. Hope serves as an ambassador to SLU McNair and is also a TRIO Student Support Services participant. She is a rising senior majoring in communication sciences and disorders at SLU. Welcome Hope to the podcast. We also have three TRIO alumni joining us on the podcast. We have Brandon Hughes, a St. Louis native and a rising PhD student in social social psychology and SLU McNair alum. We also have Derek R. McFarland Jr. hails from Eastern St. Louis, Illinois and is a rising PhD student in ecology, evolution and conservation biology and and a SLU McNair alum. And we also have Wendy Teal, a St. Louis Native is a rising master's in biology who participated in both TRIO Student Support Services and McNair. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Let's Talk TRIO podcast. Hello. Hello. I think part of our group is muted, but hi. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me. There you go. How's everybody doing? 
Hello, everyone. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to have you all on this podcast. Uh, welcome to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. And it's a huge, huge honor to have you on. Um, this is a, a very unique episode in that this is our first group interview slash panel. So, again, it's, all, it's a, huge, a huge honor on our end to have you here. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. So, one question I want to throw out to the group is, how did you each become involved in the TRIO programs? Well, I guess I can go ahead and start. Um, so, when I was in graduate school at University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana, one of the many assistantships I had was actually in the Office of Minority Student Affairs, which housed, and I believe still does house, uh, the TRIO programs, and I was a graduate assistant for a couple of years for TRIO Student Support Services. Shout out to Michael Jeffries. <laughs> he was there at the time when I was attending, and I actually still see him when I go to McNair-related events. He's a trainer and consultant and everything, so I pretty much have come full circle. I did not expect to necessarily return to TRIO, but when the opportunity presented itself, it just seemed like it was written in the stars for me to make this journey and really just give it my all. So that's my story. Right on. Thank you. I'll go next. Um, well, mine is a little shorter <laughs> because this um, being a part of McNair is actually how I became involved with uh, the TRIO program. So as, the, as a graduate assistant, this is my first time actually being involved with the TRIO program. All right. So, Nita, so a follow-up for you is how did you hear about McNair and how did you get involved? So my mentor, so um, my mentor for my PhD program before she became a mentor for the PhD program was uh, my unofficial mentor for my um, for my master's degree. So she uh, she knows Dr. Jamie, and I think through on through some networking um, event, she knew that there was a position open, and so she told me you should check it out and see if this is something you would like to do. And I got on there and my research, and I think I emailed Dr. Jamie like the next day or so when I after I was told about the position yeah so, yeah, so that's how I that's how I found out about McNear mm -hmm. right on and if I can just add her um, mentor Dr. Rhonda Ballou was actually on our advisory board so when we were looking for an outstanding graduate assistant I asked Dr. Ballou if she knew of anyone and she said I've got someone for you <laughs> nice. uh, and interestingly when we interviewed Sunita for the position I believe she was in Senegal at yeah. the time. And so we, we actually interviewed her via Skype from Senegal. <laughs> so that was interesting. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Who would like to go next? <laughs> okay, I'm jumping. It's my turn. Go for That's, it. Uh, I'm Wendy. Um, you can't see me right now. But um, I'm, I'm here to provide as much information as I can to your questions. So uh, during undergrad, I was a part of both the McNair program and student support services. I first joined student support services at my community college, which is called St. Louis Community College Merrimack. And after meeting a great group of students who put me onto the program, they taught me about what a first-generation student was. They enlightened me on the challenges that students like me face, the, the statistics of the pro program completion rates, and then they uh, also let me know the resources that were available to me. 
So I had this intake interview with the director and I learned more about the program. I met every qualification and this was the start to enriching and fulfilling aspect of my life for many, many years to come. And then oh, I actually picked SLU based on the fact that they had an existing SSS program. So like when you're in the program for a long time, at least for me, it kind of becomes like second nature to be out on the lookout for opportunities exclusive to your student demographic. And McNair was one of those opportunities. Like at the time, I had no knowledge that there was a pipeline of first generation students beyond you know, upward bound and talent search in the SSS, but I knew extending my participation to McNair was something I wanted to be a part of. So I applied to that program, had an interview, and was accepted. And until this day, when I received that acceptance, e acceptance email from Dr. Motley, like, it has been the hallmark moment in my undergraduate career. Like, that was the moment I became less intimidated by my goals, and I felt like I actually had the resources I need to keep beating those statistics and continue chasing my dreams. Wendy, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, no problem. <laughs> uh, I can go next. Please do. <laughs> I'm Derek, and the first time I was ever involved with TRIO was through McNair, just like Sunita. Um but uh, as a student, so uh, Dr. Motley and Anthony actually came to my school. I'm from Harrisville State University. Everyone mm -hmm. else here is at SLU. Um, and they came and did a presentation, all of the benefits and everything that uh, McNair had to offer to students who were in my position. And at, the, at that time, I was really struggling finding, I guess, some initial opportunities, some initial opportunities as far as uh, summer internships or, you know, uh, introductions to grad school and McNair supplied every single one of those things. So it was a pretty much a no brainer for me to apply. And when I was accepted, just like Wendy, I was very ecstatic. That is amazing. Awesome. Thank you, Derek. Uh, I guess I can go ahead and go next. Please do. Um, my name's Brandon. Um, I pretty much got involved similar, just like Derek. Uh, McNair was my first time really going into any kind of trio program. Um, and, you know, it's been an amazing adventure. Um, and I am extremely glad to have had the opportunities that I've had uh, over these past couple of years. Um, I think I got in to, towards the second semester of my sophomore year. I think that's when I interviewed. Um, you know, not being in school kind of makes you blur everything together all at the same time. Um, so, you know, those past couple of, you know, uh, junior year and senior year, um, you know, were great opportunities, you know, with the summer research internship and um, just being able to really get a good taste of what is to come in graduate school. Right on. Thank you for sharing, Brandon. So I got involved with TRIO because my friends offered free printing Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I didn't know, and I didn't know college offered that. Uh -huh. So <laughs> I figured out that there was a place to get free printing, and that there were snacks, and that there was support. I really got interested in Trio and SSS. And once I got into Trio and SSS, my academic advisor Kofi really explained to me what um, the McNair program. And that's how it really started there. And I feel like it really changed the entire trajectory 
trajectory of my college career because I feel like they really set up goals for me to reach. That's amazing. Thank you, Hope, for sharing. All right, so I'll go next. Um, my name is Anthony. Um, so I got involved with uh, Trio. This was back in 27, no, 2016 when I was working on my master's in social work at St. Louis University. Um, I had previously had a graduate assistantship um, at St. Louis University um, graduate admissions office. Um, so doing a lot of work um, in that space. But I knew I wanted to work with uh, first-generation college students because I'm a first-generation college student myself. So I found out about the pre-college access and trio programs department. And um, I did um, a whole year um, internship with that uh, department. And then um, then I graduated, but then six months later, um, the pre-college access and trio programs uh, got to make me a grant. And I was able to uh, come back on and start then in 2017. So that's how I got my start in McNair. Wow. Awesome. Anthony, thank you so much for sharing. And you all have very unique stories that the audience really relates to. And it's, it's amazing to hear your story of perseverance and how you got involved. Uh, so, Dr. Motley, I'm going to pivot to you and ask you a question. Um, what department is the McNair Scholars Program housed in at SLU? Sure. We're housed in pre-college access and trio. And our department is actually part of uh, the enrollment and retention management division at SLU. And our director of our department, which we call PCAT for short, is Mr. William Perkins. He's the assistant vice president for enrollment and retention. Um, that's one of his many roles, actually, I should say. That in addition to that role, he uh, oversees a lot of the summer camps. We really don't have any this year because of the pandemic, mm. but that's a big part of his role. And interestingly enough, he also is a uh, manager for the chess team at SLU. Oh, really? <laughs> he, has, he has a number of different responsibilities, but he's very passionate about um, pre-college and TRIO programs. And we have three TRIO programs in the department. We have Talent Search, so there are a staff of three that are actually in the public schools in St. Louis. And then we have SSS, which was already mentioned, Student Support Services. And I actually worked in Student Support Services at SLU first. I think you mentioned that in that introduction. Mm -hmm. We also have a Billiken Success Program, or BSP. And that is for students who wouldn't necessarily have been admitted to school through traditional means, mm -hmm. but um, they have a lot of intrusive, holistic advising and support for their freshman year. And as long as they satisfactorily complete that program, then they're able to move on into their sophomore year. So all of these programs are designed to really be part of a larger pipeline mm -hmm. and set students up for success. So it's really great to be part of a, such an amazing department. Right on. And uh, just still sticking with you, how long has uh, SLU McNair been in existence? So we actually got our grant for McNair in October of um, 2017. And it was actually the day after my birthday. When I found oh, really? It. Yeah. Yeah. That I uh, had been hired for the position. And there was some uncertainty at first as to whether or not we even got the grant because there was uh, some lag time between when we thought we were going to hear the announcement and when we actually heard the announcement. And I was 
walking around the track of Simon Rec, our, our campus recreational center during lunch, uh-huh. when I saw an email over the um, one of the trio listers that McNair was one of the awardees and no one in our department knew. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I asked Will, I said, I emailed him and I said, have you seen this? Is this for real? And he's yeah. like, uh, let me get back to you. <laughs> so it was it was actually interesting how we found out about it, but once it was officially confirmed, uh, apparently there was a mix up with a, an email that had gone out and it didn't get to him when it was posted. Mm. So he didn't officially know right away. But once everything was confirmed, it was a really big deal at SLU. So there was a write up about it and we were very happy. So Wow, that's an amazing birthday gift and <laughs> being able to start yeah. a trio program. That's amazing. Uh, and still, uh, what are the main components of SLU McNair and what services does the program provide? Sure. So we primarily, I should also say who we really target for those that don't know. So our main goal is to prepare high achieving students who are first gen. Um, We say Pell eligible because we don't like the stigma necessarily that goes with low income, but um, the Department of Ed classifies them as like low income and underrepresented students. Our students don't necessarily fall into all three of those categories. So we have some students who may be first gen Pell eligible, and we may have some students who are underrepresented only or some combination of the three. But we ideally want um, outstanding sophomores and juniors in our program and the average time for them to be their scholars is roughly two years. Mm -hmm. And so during that time, they are matched with a faculty mentor who helps them, you know, hone their research skills or develop their skills if they have yet to conduct any research. They receive academic counseling, one-on-one academic counseling, counseling primarily from Anthony, but we all play a role in that. Mm-hmm. They um, are able to participate in professional development workshops that are hosted both by staff and then other members of the community. When we could travel, we would take the scholars to different conferences so they could either present their research or just network with other scholars in their fields. And we would also take trips to graduate schools, which I think is going to probably happen virtually over the coming months. And so those are really our main components. Our summer research, I should say, our summer research um, program, which Anthony can talk about because he's coordinating it. Mm-hmm. is our big to-do. And that is really where um, it's competitive, actually. Sometimes people think that all of the scholars in our program are able to participate, but out of the 25 to 27 students that we serve each year, only up to 12 can be selected for oh, the wow. program. So they actually have to work with their mentors and submit very strong research proposals. Mm-hmm. And once we select from the pool of students. They spend eight weeks working on research projects and participating in a number of different activities, which I should probably turn over to Anthony because I don't want to take away from all of the hard work they absolutely working on this summer. Anthony, did you talk a little bit about it? Absolutely. Uh, Yes. Yes. So, um, this summer, um, this is uh, new for all of us because of you know COVID nineteen. We had to uh, convert our summer research internship to a uh, virtual internship, and um, it started uh, two weeks ago. And uh, today is actually the, the the last day for the uh, for the second week. 
And it's actually been going uh, really, really uh, well so far. We have um, six scholars in our summer research internship, uh, three students from St. Louis University, two students from Washington University in St. Louis, and then one student from Aristotle State um, University. And um, it's been going um, really, really well. The, um, all of our scholars are participating in uh, GRE prep, um, are attending different uh, weekly seminars and weekly meetings, are working on their um, independent uh, research uh, along with their faculty mentors. They're getting the chance to uh, network and, and, and talk and really get to know um, one another. Um, overall, in general, it's been really, really going good so far, um, better than what we expected because this is um, new to us and I'm pretty sure new to a lot of other um, McNair summer research internship programs and just um, summer programs and stuff in general. But um, we feel like the students have been enjoying it and we have been enjoying um, it too as well. So, yeah. Right on. Anthony, thank you so much for sharing on that. If you don't mind me asking, uh, or just a quick follow-up. Uh, when you're doing these types of programs, what are some of the outcomes that you're expecting for your students? Uh, yeah, so one of the biggest ones is we really want to see them grow um, in their research skills, right? And uh, we also, too, want to see them um, um, grow overall as um, students. So um, that can involve um, leadership or, or, or learning um, more things in their particular academic fields and, and those uh, different kind of areas. But we really want for them to grow more academically, um, socially, and professionally. Um, we look at our entire program, even including our some research internship, as a holistic program, we really want to grow the students um, holistically, right? Mm -hmm. And um, not mm -hmm. just um, intellectually. So we try to um, provide all those components and stuff for our scholars. Right on, right on. Uh, Dr. Motley, if you don't mind me asking you a question about, uh, as we were talking about setting up this podcast and uh, kind of conversing back and forth, uh, I found out that your McNair program is very unique in that it serves not just the population at SLU, but that you have other participants. Yes. So we actually have six institutions that we serve all together. We are the only McNair Scholars program in St. Louis and the immediate surrounding area. There are about a handful of McNair Scholars programs in the state of Missouri, but within this particular part of Missouri, we're it. And so mm -hmm. we have a unique opportunity of serving students, not only at SLU, but um, we have, of course, Derek here with us from, and I should say, the illustrious Harristow State University, <laughs> which is a historically black institution here in St. Louis. And within, literally within walking distance of our campus, we also serve Washington University in St. Louis, Fontbonne University, and Fontbonne and WashU are really right there together with each other. Webster University and the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Um, we have yet to have any scholars from UMSL, the latter, but we're working on it, so. That is, it's such a mind-blowing position to be in for McNair because now you're having to serve not only your institution, but also other institutions. How do you handle that logistically? Well, it's been easiest probably to serve our Harris students because like I mentioned, they literally can just walk 
to campus. And I think on a couple of occasions, Derek and, and some of our other um, Harris Stowe scholars have even wrote little scooters <laughs> or like the Lime scooters <laughs> over to our campus. So it's sure. very convenient for them. Um, I definitely think that now we're using Zoom quite a bit during this pandemic. We'll be utilizing that a bit more. Previously, we held a lot of programs on campus and students would actually come to our office um, for one-on-one meetings, for McNair group events and activities. But the more Anthony and I talked about it, the more we realized that, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be fair to always expect scholars from our other institutions to come to us. So we had a couple of alternatives either to, to have programming at our different institutions, which is possible, but takes a lot of planning and a lot of travel or we can utilize technology. So I would say one of the blessings in what's happening right now is that we're learning new ways of serving our students. I know Anthony also conducted some Skype meetings one-on-one with students as well, even before the pandemic hit, Mm -hmm. which has been very effective. Yeah. So another question that I have for either for you or you or Anthony can answer is um, it must be a a very unique challenge and uh, a way to attract students. I mean, how do you, how do you get students to participate? How do you get students to come to your program and, and be a participant for McNair? It's a lot of work. And to be truthful, when we first got the grant, I, I used to have nightmares about what if we don't have any students? Well, you know, how do we, I mean, it was just, it was me. I mean, for at least for the first maybe two or three weeks, it was just me. And I was really trying to figure it out. We've come such a long way since then. We utilize social media. We are on Instagram, which is how I found out about you all, about Let's Talk Trio. (laughs) We, um, we have our individual LinkedIn pages, but we often promote what's going on uh, for McNair that way. We have an uh, editorial intern. Each, well, we just started this with the um, English department where it's a partnership, and they provide us with an editorial intern. Our first and only editorial intern so far created testimonial flyers, which we shared with our partner institutions, and he was so savvy that he actually, um, he used the university colors for each of the universities that we served. Oh, wow. Let's have, let's have a scholar from those institutions, for the ones we actually have scholars at, um, to, to get testimonials from them. So it was very personal. And more recently, Anthony created the um, ambassadors program for Sue McNair. So he could probably expound on yeah. that. That's, that's, that's given our scholars a chance to help spread the word in the student leadership capacity. Anthony, can you tell us about a little bit about the, the, the McNair uh, ambassador program? Right. Yes. Um, so uh, I came up with the um, idea to uh, create that program mainly because um, I, our students was, our students was already, you know, out there kind of putting the word um, out there about uh, McNair and bringing some potential um, students into our program. So I really wanted to create um, more of a formal leadership uh, a program for um, our students to participate in. So the um, McNair Ambassadors Program, it's um, it's really a two-part uh, program. So our students, they um, represent the program in all forms. They um, uh, go out there and 
recruit and put the word out there on their different social media accounts or, or partner with different um, departments and mm-hmm. programs um, at their institution um, to uh, really, really spread the word about the, uh, the McNair Scholars Program in general. And then the other big component of the program is that um, each McNair ambassador serves as a peer mentor to um, new incoming McNair uh, scholars and, um, and even some of our, um, um, our gateway to McNair uh, scholars too as well. So that's the other big component where they get to um, go out there and help us recruit and spread the word, but also too, they get to um, enhance their leadership um, skills by being uh, peer mentors to um, incoming uh, McNair scholars. Right on. Anthony, I like how you alluded to the uh, Gateway um, program. I want to throw this question to Sunita, who was mentioned earlier as a coordinator for that. Uh, Sunita, can you tell us a little bit about what what is the Gateway to McNair Scholars Program and how is it set up? Sure. So um, it is really considered as the Gateway to McNair Scholars Program is considered as a a pipeline between uh, to McNair. So we usually get... um, students we usually get like first year students or freshmen um to apply or we get students that are still like high achieving upperclassmen but like um are were not accepted to the McNair program when they first apply because maybe they're we are we're full like there's no spot available so then we have them um wait through gateway so they join gateway and then um so because a lot of time these students are still great candidate for McNair but we just don't have space so then we have them join Gateway while we wait for space to be available. Um, so, so those are the students that we target. Um, and then the way it's set up is that we partner them up with, so we try to mirror the McNair Scholars Program. So we partner, we partner our scholars with a graduate mentor because we can't do the faculty mentor. So we do graduate mentors and then we partner them up with, like Anthony said, the peer mentors. And these peer mentors um, are McNair Scholars and this year, well, um, yeah, so this year we've had, I guess last year you'll see, we were privileged enough to have the ambassadors, the McNair ambassadors, be the peer mentors um, to our scholars. Um, and so then when they come in through Gateway, when it's time for, uh, so when space are available for McNair, we look into Gateway first. Um, I mean, as we're looking outside too, but we, we really vet our students in Gateway. So we see Gateway as like that first vetting pro- uh, process for our scholars mm-hmm. before, before going into McNair. That's amazing. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Dr. Motley, Sunita, and Anthony for giving us a good overview of the McNair program. Now I'd like to throw this, this question, next question to the, to the alum and the students. Uh, what attracted you to the McNair program? What uh, drew you? Um, I guess I can go ahead and start that response. Thank you, Brandon. Um, no problem. I, I don't know so much if it was a attraction more so than it was professors that uh, worked with McNair in the past telling me to go apply now. So more so being shoved into that direction, more so than <laughs> discovering it on my own on the internet or anything. Um, it was actually a meeting that I had with um, my uh, African-American studies um, interim um, 
mentor at the time and she was really excited that the program was coming back to SLU because there had been a hiatus of sorts between mm -hmm. the, one the past and the one um, today. Mm -hmm. um, and she basically was like, okay, well, you know, you're a really good student and you seem in being a psychology major, it's like, okay, well, you're probably thinking about graduate school. It's like, yeah, okay, go do this program and see what happens. And I was like, all right, sounds good. And here we are today. That's amazing. Thank you, Brandon. And it sounds like a really a good push. I think for a lot of TRIO students, right, that, that's the initial push of somebody telling you about the program to join it, right? Yeah, exactly. Right on. Uh, so like I said earlier, oh, I'm Derek. Like I said earlier, uh, Anthony and Dr. Motley came to my school and gave a presentation. And what really interested me about that presentation was it really their their biggest goal was to help, I guess, diversify the PhD degree holders in, in the country. And mm -hmm. that was something that I was that that was one of my biggest goals overall is to get a PhD at some point in the future. Um, but I had no idea how to do that. So the fact that McNair had a sort of plan in place, uh, a way to make that PhD a little bit more feasible for someone who is first generation or doesn't see themselves in academia um, to the degree at which someone who is more represented would see themselves. Um, that kind of just made it more of an obvious choice for me to apply. Like, why wouldn't I take advantage of this thing that's falling into my lap? Right on, Derek. I, I like that, that you said that it's, it's identifying when an opportunity presents itself. I like that. So I'll go next. Absolutely. Being a, being a first generation student at a PWI, I don't really get to see a lot of people who look like me in higher academia or teachers who look like me, even in my major, which I love all of my teachers dearly. It would just be nice to see like more people who look like me being those high degree holders. So when I was given the opportunity to be involved in something like that, I thought this is, I want to be the change that I want to see. So that's how I really got involved in McNair because I want to be able to show that first generation student like 10, 15, 20 years down the line that nothing is impossible. The only obstacle that you have is yourself and your own self doubt. So that's how I'm thinking towards the future and towards my own ideas and goals and that's how that got me involved in McNair. Hope, I really like how you delineated that and how you really uh, looked not only at representation but at various forms of being able to inspire future generations to look at you for education, right? And to know that it's possible to do it. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Okay, so my um, attraction to the McNair program is kind of like Derek's, though I didn't find it the exact same way. So I was looking for an opportunity to develop my knowledge, my skills, but more so like outside of the classroom. I knew like the next step in my education was to pursue a graduate degree, but I wasn't sure exactly how or when I would even get there. So one day I was walking in the hallway and I saw a flyer and it said the McNair program. And at this time it was like a brand new program and it was exactly what I was looking for. Like it offered potential for research experience. It offered assistance to show me the ropes of how to get into graduate school. It offered connections to students with similar goals, but most importantly, it offered the support that I needed. 
Like in the moments that I attended that information session, it just like felt right. Like I was supposed to be there. Like it would play an integral part of making my dream come to life. And sure enough, it definitely has. That's awesome. Thank you, Wendy, for sharing. No problem. And, and for another question for the students, and you can chime in uh, at whatever order you all want. Uh, what has been or what have been your greatest achievements since becoming a McNair Scholar? All right, y'all don't hold back. We've got some rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to jump it off. So, um, my greatest achievement since becoming a scholar is first and foremost gaining entry into into a graduate program. But it it wouldn't have been possible without my other greatest achievements, and that includes things like successfully completing the two summer research in uh, internships and presenting my work at local and national research conferences. So I presented at um, the Society for Neuroscience annual conference a couple years ago, which is huge. And also the Heartland, um, the McNair Heartland conference. But on like a more personal note, I think my greatest accomplishment has been growing into the person that I want to be and persisting despite circumstances that have presented themselves along the way, whether it was like overcoming home life stuff, mental health, or just in general imposter syndrome. Thank you. Uh, I, I can echo everything that Wendy just said, but to be more specific, I also am very proud of my um, involvement in uh, summer internships and how I completed uh, two separate uh, uh, research projects, independent research projects alongside my mentors. Um, that's something I'm very proud of. Um, also, I presented at 13 academic meetings within the span of my two, year, two years of undergrad. So that was something that at the time while I was doing, I didn't realize it was a huge deal, but everyone around me, whenever I mentioned to them I was going to yet another conference, they were like, another conference? <laughs> um, so that was a big deal. But other than that, there was uh, the fact that I won or placed in three of them and won first place in two of them. Um, and they were both national uh, conferences. So to see my academic achievements being recognized on such a large scale was something that I will never get over. Um, and of course, being admitted into a, the, my top PhD program of choice, that's something that also I'm still trying to believe. It's still kind of a dream come true for you, it sounds like, Derek. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. And thank you for sharing. Of course. So... Once again, Derek, congratulations on doing everything that you've been doing. Also, congrats on getting into that program at uh, Urbana-Champaign. I saw that yeah. on LinkedIn. Exactly. Thank you so much. Yes. I think we might have lost hope. We might reconnect. We can never lose hope. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Derek. Oh. <laughs> Got to give you that one, Derek. <laughs> I keep those in my back pocket just in case. <laughs> so while we're waiting for Hope to reconnect, uh, Brandon, would you like to go? Yeah, sure. Um, so, greatest accomplishment. I mean, 
pretty much just the same as everyone else, I guess. Um, definitely on the more personal side, just kind of like that growth into the actual role of being a PhD student and being admitted and, or, you know, graduate student in general and, you know, um, being able to uh, just overcome a lot of those kind of internal fears or like Wendy said, the imposter syndrome, definitely. Um, on a academic note, I would say that definitely presenting at uh, Abrahams was definitely the highlight um, along with just kind of, um, that was my independent research uh, that I did over the summer with the uh, summer internship. Um, and then it ended up getting extended into my senior project and all sorts of different things. So um, just kind of being able to get that independent research in um, was an amazing achievement for me. Right on, Brandon. That's awesome. And if I may throw a question out there, what did you learn from that? What was the experience or what, was, what did you get from all that, from that experience? Um, you mean the experience of just like the summer research internship mm -hmm. or, oh, okay. Um, I guess just kind of the in-depthness that research kind of takes. I guess it's like, you know, when you're doing your regular day-to-day -day kind of like English paper or, you know, um, you know, uh, any other's classes kind of project, you know, it's, it's different than doing an actual like study where you have to get approval from the IRB and all of these other mm. things. Um, like the, the kind of research that you do for a paper in undergrad is definitely different than you're doing for graduate school. So just kind of getting a good feel for like the differences between the work that you'd be doing at the next level was mm -hmm. probably one of the more important, I, I would, I would assume more important things to kind of understand when getting into this. I think we have a deeper appreciation for the word research, right? When you, when people throw out the word, Hey, do your research. You're like, I know what research entails. I know what that means. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I see that hope is trying to reconnect, but we can certainly either hold to the question and come back to her or we can move on. Uh, Dr. Motley, what would you like to do? Uh, let's go ahead and move on and maybe we can circle back when she's fully on. Sounds great to me. Uh, for the students and for the staff, what has been some of your most memorable moments shared with other scholars or other staff members in the program? I have to say it's easily um, traveling to conferences. Um, it's something about getting away from your normal academic setting that kind of... Uh, kind of exposes a new side to a person and kind of as you're exploring a new city together or you're talking about these different topics that probably wouldn't be relevant um, in your normal setting. It kind of makes your relationship a little bit more. Um, I remember specifically like it was, this was my first conference and it was um, right after my presentation and Dr. Motley was the, was the, I guess you would call it a proctor or the, I guess the person who is in charge of that specific session uh, after my presentation, she told me about how well I had done um, and uh, what she thought was my secret weapon in presenting, and she said it was my humor. So that was something that really <laughs> that really went a long way with me, and I still hold on to that, and something I tried to capitalize on for all of my presentations that followed and made it more of an enjoyable experience because, hey, she said I did great, so why wouldn't I do great in this one? So it was something that, honestly, I, I still hold on to. So thanks, Dr. Motley. 
My pleasure. And, and would you care to also talk a little bit about some of the awards that you have won at conferences? Sure. Uh, well, so I got first place in the Emerging Researchers National Conference. That was the most recent one um, in February. Uh, the one before that, that was in 2019, I think. It was for the Minority Access National Role Models Conference in uh, Maryland. And then there was one other one, second place for the minority, uh, Missouri Lewis Stokes Minority mm -hmm. Participation uh, Conference in Jefferson, Missouri. So yeah, so a lot of people are uh, really, th they really think that I can speak well in front of an audience. Apparently I can't do that on a six person Zoom call. <laughs> And Derek, you're doing a fantastic job on a podcast. This is, you're sounding so great. So you're doing great. Yeah. Yes, you are. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we just saw, uh, Hope just rejoined uh, our conversation. Dr. Motley, would you like me to ask her the question we, we just covered or? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So Hope, we were earlier talking about uh, first, the, the most memorable moment that you've had with McNair, uh, the previous question was also some of your greatest achievements uh, since becoming a scholar at McNair. So I feel like mine kind of go hand in hand. So meeting my, meeting my faculty mentor was probably one of the most memorable times I've had because she was actually one of my teachers. So I actually had to talk to her after class. <laughs> and get to know her like as I was prepping for her class and her tests, which was a very interesting dynamic because I would do really well in our meeting and then I'd turn around and do a test and she'd give me a C. So <laughs> we, would, we would be working both ways. And really having her be one of the best motivators was probably one of my largest achievements because she doesn't give praise like freely. Oh, so yeah. her telling me, Hope, I want you to present at a bunch of conferences your senior year was something that I felt like I can take pride in myself and the work that I do. So really gaining that confidence was probably one of my greatest achievements so far in McNair. Wonderful. Who else would like to share their most memorable moment in McNair? Well, like the others, my most memorable experience had to include the Mocanny McNair Conference. But this, it's not just like any conference. It's an all-exclusive McNair Conference, okay? So there is no other feeling in this world comparable to how it feels to be in a room with a group of people who are destined to change the world academically and socially. And I am super hesitant to say this, but like it was almost an, it was almost a, uh, a spiritual experience. Like oh, it touched like my soul seeing with my own eyes that I am a part of something bigger than I even realized. Like, I think we all felt something similar at the conference, <clears throat> but like another one of my most memorable moments, memorable moments would have to be at the end of the McNair summer research symposium. So there's this feeling of accomplishment after presenting, having your fellow, your fellow cohort there to support you, but you're also making a contribution to research and it kind of reminds you why you do what you do and why you would do it over and over again. Uh, 
Well, I can share from the perspective of a, of a staff member or the director. And I just want to go back to my graduate school days. One of the things that I loved most about being a doctoral student was traveling to conferences. And my mentor, Dr. James D. Anderson. Hi, Dr. Anderson. He, uh, he was really like the, the, the coolest mentor out there because some of the faculty, when we go to conferences, they, you know, they wanted to get play catch up basically with other faculty and their disciplines who are spread out across, across the country. And that made perfect sense. Like we expected that. But um, Dr. Anderson, who we call Doc, he wanted to hang out with the students. And it, he, so he was sort of an anomaly, you know, and, and he was never the type to say, just, um, just spend your whole day in conference sessions. He, he was like, you know, we're going to go, we're going to schedule time to go sightseeing or we're going to go someplace neat to eat. And eventually that caught on to where other faculty started doing similar things or we would get together as a group with the PhD students and faculty. So I will honestly say that um, I carried that vision and that experience with me because I remember how wonderful it felt. So to be able now to be on that side, even though I'm not a faculty uh, person per se, but an administrator and sort of be doc, <laughs> be that person for the scholars is really gratifying. I don't ever want them to see me as uh, one dimensional. I'm a, a whole person. I like to joke. I like to, to eat a lot of different foods and, you know, sightsee and do all of that. And I also want them to feel free to be who they really are, that they don't have to um, just, you know, put themselves in a box and only show the, the academic or intellectual side of who they are, that they could, they can just show all of who they are and, you know, still be very wonderful to be around. So I, for me, that's just been the, the best thing um, is to be able to travel with the students. I feel like that's also where we do the most bonding as a group. Normally, whoever we travel with, we um, develop the strongest bonds with because we see each other in a mo more holistic light. So Absolutely. it's been a wonderful experience. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to jump on and say that I agree with Dr. Jamie and Derek that the traveling has been my most memorable experience being uh, involved with McNair. And I, I remember last summer when we took our culture trip to New York. Um, that is a trip I will never forget <laughs> because there was a we um, they had a blackout in New York, and we were stuck. oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Some people were stuck on the elevator. <laughs> so that's a trip I will never forget. But um, just like Dr. Jamie said, just creates a time to bond with uh, both the students and and, and the staff. So. Yeah, I would say the traveling has been memorable. Right, yeah, and to uh, piggyback off of that, um, I totally agree too as well. I feel like uh, uh, traveling to the different conferences and the different cultural trips that we have been on so far has been uh, really, really great. Um, seeing the seeing the scholars' faces when they go to the conferences and, and see that you know they're not the only ones. It's a it's a lot of you know uh, making our scholars across the country is is really really good and seeing them. Um, continue to grow as researchers and present their research and stuff at at these big um, national conferences has been um, really really good for me. So um, I agree too as well um, with the staff and the scholars. The um, traveling piece is really really huge for all of us. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Anybody else uh, still? Did we get everybody or? All right. I think I, I'll go on to the next question then for uh, really for the students. Who are your mentors and who, who have they supported? Or, uh, who, sorry. And how have they supported your development as a scholar? Uh, my mentor is Dr. Leticia, or my McNair mentor is Dr. Leticia Soros. Um, she was only at SLU, and that's how I was connected to her. Um, actually, through Dr. Motley, she's the one who set that relationship up. She's Dr. Leticia Soros is an amazing researcher. She um, studies avian par parasites, and um, I was very interested in wildlife and uh, and everything that has to do with wildlife and studying wildlife. And she connected me with uh, mentors across the country, pretty much. Her um, network became my network, and I feel like that's the biggest thing that uh, that a mentor could do is like hand off that network because that's like it skyrocket skyrockets you um, to success in that particular field. So I was connected to other researchers at WashU and um, even one in Madagascar. Madagascar. So that Madagascar. So that was um, an amazing experience. My mentor is Dr. Mitzi Brommer from St. And she is she's my ultimate hype man. She's always trying to get me to do something new or really trying to get me to think of things in a new way. And it's always, she's always challenging my mind and there's never a dull moment when we meet. So I'm always learning and I'm always being challenged and I love that. And it's exactly what I need in order to be a proper scholar, being open to learning at all times and never thinking, oh, I know everything now because you never really do. And she's, she's really taught me that. So I'm grateful to her for everything that she's done since basically my freshman year almost. So she has seen me through a lot academically and personally, and she's just a wonderful human being and a wonderful teacher and scholar. It's really amazing when you can connect with a mentor that's able to academically challenge you and have your mind expand in other different directions. Thank you, Hope, for sharing that. Um, I guess I can go next. Uh, my advisor for McNair in both um, my psychology major through undergrad was uh, Dr. Richard Harvey. Um, I would say that as far as development goes, I feel like it's for us, it's mostly just kind of our casual conversations about things. Um, one of his favorite questions to ask me during like pretty much every meeting is what do you want to be when you grow up as though I'm not already 22, but um, he pretty much... <laughs> says that it's kind of like, you know, you never really know. I mean, even at, you know, 40 or 50, you're still wanting to do new things and all these other different things. So it's, you know, normal and good to not, you know, have one specific set thing you want to do. Cause then if you do it, then what's left and all of that. Um, but you know, um, I'm in his research lab now going into the PhD program since I'm staying at SLU. Um, and you know, I mean, we talk about even just like, um, little ideas for research projects uh, that I have and I type in my notes on my phone or something um, when I'm having conversations with other people. And it's like, you know, why does that happen? And I'm just like, ask Dr. Harvey who's done research on this. <laughs> um, 
And then we talk about that and uh, kind of develop, uh, you know, little research questions here and there, or even just talk about research that's already been done on this and all that other kind of thing. So, yeah. Thank you, Brandon. And, and just a quick follow-up. Have you figured out what you want to do when you grow up? Oh, man. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> Dr. Harvey's asked me that for like two or three years, and I still don't have an answer for him. So I, I still don't have a specific answer. But um, yeah, we will figure it out as we go along. That's what I, I like say. that. I like that. If I could just add, um, I know one summer, it might have been our first summer, yeah, because that's when Brandon participated as an intern um, in our summer research program. We had his mentor actually uh, deliver a session. I believe it was that summer. And I remember he asked the question, what is a scholar? And everyone was just looking so perplexed, like, oh, my gosh, I should know this. I'm a scholar in the program. I should know this. <laughs> I think people were really trying to think of this profound, super eloquent response. And mm. he, took, he just, he took, I believe it was either chalkboard or dry erase pen, because I can't remember what the, the room configuration was like, but he just wrote in all caps, Y-O-U, you. <laughs> and so everyone's like, oh! <laughs> so I, I, that was something that stayed with me, because, I mean, it was just so real and so true and cut to the heart of what we spend, you know, one or two, sometimes three years trying to get the scholars to really accept is that mm -hmm you are a scholar, you know, in your own right. And there's plenty of opportunity in this program to hone your skills, but you are already as you are um, where you belong, you know, and you're already on the path to either whether you want to get your PhD or whether you want to, you know, work for a firm and do research, you want to do consulting, you want to be a professor, you are already on the path that you belong on because you are a scholar. So I just want to mention that because I thought that was pretty awesome. Thank you, I'll Dr. Motley. Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> He's nodding, yes. <laughs> Did we get to everybody? I want to make sure that everyone was able to share who their mentor, who, who mentored them through, the, through this McNair program. Okay, I'll go. Yes, Wendy. No, I've had I've had lots of mentors along the way, but I've had like the privilege of having a few exceptional ones. And Dr. Motley and Anthony have always been in my corner from the jump start, and they've always been there providing that support I need from oh. personal conversations. Don't get out the tissues, Dr. J. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> like attending my pre my presentation at the Heartland Conference, like I felt super special because I had both of them there. And I know that's not big, but like I needed that like so much. But like for other mentors, I have research mentors too. And those were um, Dr. Judith Ogilvie and Dr. Elena Baker Nye. They're also among the exceptional ones. Uh, they support me just to echo what um, Hope said, like they challenged me academically to be the best scientist I can be. They also helped me find like my niche in research, which I know is not an easy process, especially when you're a neuroscience major and can't decide if you want to do psychology or biology. But one of the things that I've noticed about all the mentors is that they go above and beyond for their students like they have this genuine concern they're willing to advocate 
for our development. Like they're really invested in our successes. And we like as scholars who have amazing mentors feel that like we need to strive to be the best we can be, not just as students or scientists, but like community members and people in general. And then another thing, the last thing I want to mention is that they taught us the importance of learning how to network, like not just with people in the science community, but people all over. So that would echo Derek's. So yeah, I agree with all y'all. Thank you, Wendy, for sharing that. And Sunita, I want to get to you because pre-podcast, we were talking about how you reach out to your community and you do a lot of mentorship work. Uh, can you tell us your experience of being a mentor? Sure. So before everyone came on here, I was like 30 minutes early, by the way. And <laughs> <laughs> So we were just chit-chatting. So that's that's what this is coming from. <laughs> and I was trying to get away, but then the conversation kept going. So I stayed. <laughs> that's funny. So, um, yes, I – can you repeat the question again? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, going back to how, what we were talking about pre-show was uh, you reach out to your community and you have that type of mentorship with uh, a lot of your students uh, and you see them go on and, and start graduating or you're seeing them uh, go on and, and doing their thing. Can, uh, from a mentorship perspective or a mentor's perspective, um, how, how do you cultivate that and how, do, how does that work out as you uh, help – graduate students go into that direction, into their path? Well, um, I guess for me is to echo everything that everyone has said in regards to their mentor. I guess for me, I think like we were talking to, it means a lot for someone uh, to take an interest in me and want to invest in me. So I guess I approach each and every one of my mentees outside of what I do for work outside of McNair with that same mindset. And so when I bring it into McNair, even though I'm not a mentor to any of our scholars, right? Um, I would like to think like I mentor behind the scene, <laughs> right? As I talk, as I uh, talk to Dr. Jamie and Anthony. So even though I don't do one-on-one -on -one mentorship mentoring with them, um, I have each and every one of their best interests at heart as well. So that's the same thing I do with my, with my, I want to say scholars, sorry, with my students outside of McNear, <laughs> outside, outside of McNear. And just to, um, just to echo what everyone has said too, um, I was one, um, a younger Sunita <laughs> and, and people invested in me. People are still investing in me. And um, to echo what Wendy said, um, Dr. Jamie is one of those people that I know she, she this, was, this lady I, I never met, you know, I just applied for a job. I thought, she was, <laughs> I, thought I screwed it up. <laughs> like, man, and like she said, I was in Ghana, I mean, sorry, in Senegal when I was being interviewed and I was like, man, I called my friend and I was like, I think I messed it up. Um, so when I got a second interview, I was like, well, and I got a second interview, like literally, <laughs> literally, uh, I got off the plane the next day. I was, I was interviewing <laughs> the second time. So I think, I think I sold, I sold her over the second time. Out. But she has been a friend. <laughs> she has been a mentor. Um, and she's been part of my community now, like in terms of like, you know, when it, the saying that, is, that they say that it takes a village. So she's been part of my village and I've appreciated that. So just knowing that this is a, a person that I've never met before and have taken an interest in me like and that's how I go about because she reminded me of me so to answer your questions all about how would I want what have people done for me and also what would I want others to do for me and that's how I approach um, mentoring thank others. you Sunita
And I'm going to actually ask that same question to Anthony and to Dr. Motley. How do you all cultivate that relationship with students to mentor them and guide them? For me, it's, it's very organic. Um, I, I agree with something Wendy said earlier about there is a spiritual component. I've never really approached any position I've had uh, where I've served students just from a rules and regulations standpoint. I always try to meet heart to heart and soul to soul. And the thing is that, you know, it is a very reciprocal situation so that if I'm, if I'm opening my heart and my soul to a student and they're not ready to receive that or don't want to interact with me in that way, I have to be respectful of that. But for students who are open to receive or even need that, there's just this organic connection. It's, it's, it's amazing how um, a student could come in my office with a quick question and, you know, two hours later, we're talking about life and our journeys and what it all means. And, you know, those moments happen because we both allow them to happen. We, we make room for that. And I think it really starts from me, just letting students know that I, I see, I see them or I want to see them beyond just um, the student that they are at this moment in time, which is going to pass, you know, they're going to go on and they won't be in school forever, at least not as students. Um, they won't be this age forever. <laughs> They're going to get older. Life's yeah. going to happen, you know? And so I, I, I can a lot of times look at a student and sort of see aspects of who they may end up becoming in the future. And that's just, that makes my work more gratifying than sitting behind a desk and just going over uh, rules and regulations. And it gets deep sometimes. It gets really deep. I mean, when I was, when I was an advisor for student support services, I replaced a um, advisor who was just really beloved by all her students. And I probably spent the first year of that job running down the hall getting Kleenex because <laughs> the students didn't know that she was yeah. retiring. And um, they had connected with her so deeply that, you know, they were heartbroken. And I was just like, wow, I've always had this connection with students and right now I feel like I'm I'm sort of just that person to break the bad news and 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 get tissue <laughs> so when I was able to finally um start meeting students who were just coming to school for the first time and wanting to see who was in their corner where students you know who had transferred and, and really wanted to see you know who, who cares about me as a person not just my grades or my major but me then that really opened up an opportunity for me to to form you know those kinds of relationships and so i i just consider it for me to be a very spiritual situation and probably working at just with institution helps a little bit because um you know we welcome all faiths at SLU, but there's a certain element of um, comfort with talking about spirituality that you don't necessarily mm -hmm. find at a lot of other institutions. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I can go a little deeper with students who, like I said, who are ready to receive that and have those conversations. Well, Dr. Motley, just for the record and for our audience, you're getting a lot of heart reacts on the chat and people really just loving what you're saying. Anthony, I'm going to throw it to you and ask you the same question. How do you build that mentorship relationship with students? Right, for me, um, it's really easy and I, and I really enjoy it. I feel like the main reason I enjoy it is because um, 
when I was undergrad, I didn't really have a lot of um, mentorship. Um, I really wasn't involved until later on in, in, in my undergraduate uh, career, right? So I learned a lot, and and I, and, and, and I knew um, going to graduate school was going to be my uh, my second chance of really being able to be more involved um, on campus and, and also to seek the mentorship that I need um, in order for me to accomplish my goals. So um, since I went through that and learned um, a lot from that experience in undergrad, um, I make it my uh, duty and calling to provide as much um, information, important information to um, our scholars to, to, to be able to help them to get to where it is they want to get to so they, so they don't have to necessarily go through some of the things I had to go through. So I love providing um, the mentorship and stuff to them, um, especially in regards to uh, networking. They know that I'm big um, on that and how much I, I push that and, and, um, and all that good stuff. So um, I enjoy doing it um, all the time. Thank you, Anthony. So I'm going to pivot now and ask this question to the students, uh, kind of veering a little bit, but uh, what impact has COVID-19 pandemic had on your uh, academic experience? How has this either shifted or impacted you on a wider scale? There we go, shaking your head. <laughs> <laughs> I see a lot of students are kind of going, shaking their head, nodding their head, going, oh my gosh. <laughs> It ruined everything, Juan. It ruined everything. <laughs> you know how you make a plan at the beginning of like the semester, like, okay, by this month I should have this done and then I'll be prepared to take on this new opportunity and I can apply for this position. It ruined everything. So <laughs> oh, no. So yeah, over the course of my undergrad I I had already like taken on and almost finished to um two research internships, one through McNair and one through the NIH, and they were almost done. I just had a few more tests to run, a few more analyses to make, oh. a few more point, data points to put into uh -huh. R, you know, but I wasn't able to do it because the labs had shut down. Oh. It wasn't feasible to do anything that I had planned to do. So that's the research side, but on on a school level, I'm sure everyone else will be on the same page is that graduation was canceled. This is oh. supposed to be my time. I was supposed to shine, but you know, it's fine. You know, there's a, there, it'll, it'll work out in the end. I'm sure it'll be, it'll be okay. There's always my PhD graduation. So, you know, <laughs> right there, right on. And I like Wendy, what she's saying on the chat is you have been shining Derek and just wanted to express that. And, uh, you know, that uh, you're definitely, Right. We want to validate every, all your experiences because we don't want to just say, oh, it's, it happened. It's like, forget everything else. You're definitely validated in all your hard work that's been, uh, you've been doing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Of course, I appreciate it. What about for everyone else? How, how has COVID impacted you? Yeah, I'm going to go and say I fully agree with Derek on that. Just totally threw everything off. Um, you know, I was living on campus, uh, this last semester. So like having to get basically like kicked out of the dorms and departments with everyone yeah. else, just right at the end of spring break. And it was just like, all right, everybody go get your stuff, get out. It was, it was, I mean, it wasn't that harsh, but it was just like the urgency there. And it was just like, okay, wow. Um, and then adjusting to living back at home was, you know, a process mentally just kind of like, okay, 
I can't just go to the library or go to the lab or whatever to study. I have to like do it in my house. And it's like, I haven't had to do that in years and, you know, trying to actually physically separate yourself out of space to work and mentally kind of separate yourself out from like, okay, I have family responsibilities again and, you know, work or if, you know, for those of us who are able to telecommute to work um, and things of that nature. So it was just kind of like, it, it just kind of felt like every day was just one big blur um, of responsibilities vaguely, but, you know, we persist and like, you know, what Wendy's saying right now, you know, we get through it and we're adjusting as we need to. And um, hopefully it's better in the fall. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, life is unpredictable. So we'll just have to like, you know, keep adjusting. Absolutely. I think it really speaks to the theme of trio students and how persistent and how adjustable a, a majority of those students are, right? And how you all continue persisting and continue going, no matter the challenges that present themselves. You're like, you know what, this is another thing. We're just going to adjust to it. Um, and I know that uh, for a lot of students at CSU and for all over the country it was kind of a shock, right? Going, now we have to go home and now we have to study at home and, and having that discrepancy of like, now I have to look at my home as an academic place uh, and not this place of, of being uh, at home and not making it too homey. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Derek, uh, Brandon and, and Derek for sharing your experiences. Um, I do want to get to other students who want to share those experiences of COVID-19. What was that experience like and how did you adjust? It ruined a lot for me. <laughs> I was, I had all these plans. I was supposed to go on a road trip with friends to go see graduate schools. We were supposed to go spend a week up in New York and Wisconsin and Arizona. And now we can't even leave our houses anymore. So there was, there was, a, there was a time of like, depression because all of a sudden all my plans all my friends my entire routine course like my mental health kind of took a hit at first but then I kind of had to like climb myself up and realize this is this is the new reality mm. and of course in the beginning I, I didn't think it was going to be this long I thought oh it's going to be fine we'll, we'll be back in school before so I can go see everyone graduate I was wrong I was, I was very wrong. <laughs> but, you have a lot of your peers agreeing with you. I feel like it's really taught me a lesson in patience. It's taught me a lot about hope and what it means to have faith in the future and faith in humanity, i.e. making people wear their masks when I see them. But I think that there's always a silver lining around a storm cloud, and we just need to find that. Mm -hmm. But working at home has really been, that's been the hard part because I, I can literally work in my bed. That, yeah, no. So <laughs> <laughs> all, what happens is I watch Netflix instead. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'll just watch an episode. I promise. <laughs> I, I so relate hope because I feel like once I get started with my own work and then I start slipping into something else like Netflix or Disney plus or anything else that's grabbing my attention at the moment. So yeah, that's kind of been concentration has been the name of the game and I'm still working on it. So 
hopefully by the time this next semester comes up, we shall be better at it. Right on. Thank you, Hope. Yeah. So I entirely got missed by the COVID pandemic because I graduated in fall 2019. So I'm <laughs> super hopeful for that, or not hopeful, I'm super, super grateful for that. But mm-hmm. I do empathize with my fellow scholars that it, it, it sucks. It really does. But like I said before, like we've been doing this our whole lives. It's not nothing new and COVID don't have nothing on trees. Absolutely. Agreed 100%. Thank you, Andy. And now for the staff, COVID-19, how has that impacted you and your work? It's, it's been eye-opening. Um, I joke with my husband all the time. Well, now we're finally office mates. We actually work together. We share a seat. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we have Zooms at the same time, and it's like, Shh, I'm Zooming. You know, and then also really being respectful of each other's time you know it's easy to feel when you're at home like well you I can just go in the other room and ask my husband questions and he's good because we're home you know and he might be in deep thought trying to work on a project he's he's actually um he's a PhD candidate at one of the the schools we serve Washington University in St. Louis so he's working on his dissertation so that is not um an easy process I know I've, I've been through it and I think just by virtue of us being here together, sometimes I have to remind myself um, to be mindful of of how stressful that can be. And it's the same thing with with him and all the things that I have to do. So that and just technology, you know, I I like Zoom, but we talk about, um, my team and I, we talk a lot about how sometimes we just still Zoomed out. You know, we have Zoom after Zoom after Zoom, and no matter how much you try to, to spruce them up and, keep things lively you can feel depleted um and you also can do be trying to do multiple things at once that you wouldn't necessarily be doing if you were at work like the laundry or <laughs> waiting for amazon to deliver a rug which happened to me in the middle of a staff meeting one time that i was hosting so um these things happen but the the beauty of it is it's happening to all of us and so i think we all try to be as patient as possible when you know we were interviewing a scholar and her dog just got tired of waiting she had two dogs playing in the background and finally one just got in her lap and just looked into the camera and we just fell out laughing because like yeah this is real life real life stuff is happening so absolutely we're all in it together we just push through it together well as you'll probably notice my kids have been coming in and out <laughs> uh, my son will just put his arm uh, his uh, head on my shoulder just letting me know he's like hey i'm getting bored so i absolutely understand the, the whole zoom exhaust yep Yep. Uh, Anthony or Sunita? Uh, Sunita? Yeah, so I'll say that I agree with Dr. Jamie and I agree with you. <laughs> like, uh, it is definitely, it has definitely been an adjustment uh, being home because it's like trying to motivate yourself too. And uh, Dr. Jamie follows me on um, Instagram. Well, Slu McNear follows me on Instagram. <laughs> and we, uh, we, the three of us, manage Slu <laughs> <Swoo> McNear. <laughs> so she, and she sees that I've been baking a lot and cooking a lot. And it's just like, I'm just, like she said, you get zoomed out. And I used to love watching Netflix. Um, now I don't because I'm, I'm always like in front of the computer and my eyes start hurting. So I need to do something. So then I'm exercising more because I just need something to do to procrastinate. I need a new form of procrastination. 
it used to be Netflix. Now I need something else. <laughs> so I've been yes. <laughs> yes, and she, Sunita, also got me to accept a, a challenge with our Apple Watches, so we compete against each other to, oh. to see who can close their rings. I told her I need a break for you know a few weeks, but um, yeah, she she sucked me into that. So. Right. Right. So definitely, it has definitely been an adjustment and um, I kind of miss what, the, what we used to have just being able to go like separating work from home I, I would say like it's been hard to separate home life now from work life um, just because you're doing it you're doing it all here <laughs> at home so yeah yeah so for me uh COVID-19, um, it really hit us strong in the United States, like in the middle of, um, of me coordinating the summer research internship. Mm-hmm. So um, as a team, we had to really kind of uh, come together and, and, and talk about, you know, how we want to move forward. And uh, we knew that we wanted, wanted our scholars to still have a summer um, research experience, um, even if that was going to be a, a virtual experience. So we uh, got together to um, really be able to put that um, – all uh, together. I mean, at first, when the COVID nineteen happened, I was a little bit upset because I was um, I was really looking forward to you know the uh, the, the residential summer research and, and uh, internship and having the students on campus and, and and going on different trips and different kind of things like that and stuff with them and being able to see them in person um, over the summer. But um, as um, um, as the months and stuff uh, went by, um, I wanted to. Um, you know, still make sure that uh, the student's summer research um, experience was uh, really, really still good. So, um, so far, um, everything has been uh, going uh, really, really well. But um, but uh, COVID-19 did have a really big impact in the uh, beginning. And I can allude to everybody else um, being, in a, being in a thousand Zoom meetings weekly and all those different kind of things and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, I've been trying to look at the bright side of it um, um, instead of the, uh, the, 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 the downside, but I know we all can't wait to be able to, um, you know, get back on campus and, and things somewhat go back to normal. I know things won't probably ever go back to normal, but, but at least somewhat. Yeah. Thank you, Anthony, for sharing that. Uh, going on to the next question, for those of you who have been admitted to a graduate program, um, or looking forward to the program that you're going into. Can you tell us a little bit about the program or institution that you're headed to this fall? Sure, I can go first. Uh, I'm going into the Ecology, Evolution, and Conservation Biology program at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. I'll be working in the lab of Dr. Brian Allen, who's a vector disease ecologist, and he studies like Lyme disease and uh, Zika virus, those sorts of things. diseases transmitted by ticks and uh, mosquitoes. And uh, yeah, so this program, it really focuses on ecology, evolution, and conservation biology, like what it sounds like. <laughs> um, and hopefully I'll, be, I'll have a chance to really get down and dirty with my deeply rooted interest in wildlife disease ecology, studying tick-borne illnesses and how they're uh, transmitted from ticks to wildlife hosts. So that's something that I'm really interested and eager to delve into. Thank you, Derek. Who's next? 
okay. Uh, Wendy's just told me to go, so I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will be joining into the uh, social psychology program at St. Louis University, so I'm going to be a Billiken for about a decade, so that'll be fun. Um, seriously, though, it'll be, it'll be a great time. Um, and essentially, you know, the program, well, the the actual program is the experimental psychology program um, with a concentration in social psychology. So that's also including everything except cognitive and I and industrial organizational psych. So everything else is pretty much underneath the experimental side. Um, my concentration will be social uh, psychology. So kind of like, you know, why do groups of people do what they do and all that kind of stuff. And, um, Specifically, I'm looking forward to uh, researching kind of like digital socialization. Um, so like why everyone on the internet is so angry and mean sometimes and mm. how do we make that a little better? Like, you know, how do we make Twitter, um, you know, uh, better? I don't know. It's yeah, all that kind of stuff where it's like, wow, this is this is here. We need to learn how to use it better and more effectively and all that good stuff. And that sounds like very interesting research, you know, to go to delve into social media platforms and figuring out how people interact and use those tools to either uh, promote education or to open uh, minds up or how sometimes those reinforce stereotypes or other types of things. So, Brandon, that's that's pretty awesome. Thanks. Who else would like to go? Wendy. All right, so I'm going to be pursuing a master's of biology at SLU. Like, Brandon, I'm going to be a Billiken round two. So, shameless <laughs> here. Uh, it's one of the only fully funded science master's programs in the nation. Uh, there's super interesting, diverse projects going on in the department. So, it's a biology department, but I'm a neuroscience major. So, though it technically is biology, it's also neuroscience, too. Oh, so some of the things they're doing, um, a project that I've been working on for the past couple years with retinal circuitry. Uh, there's some electrophysiology with snails, some yeast genomics, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, what I really like about it is that there's a combination of different approaches being taken on science, which is really excited if you're looking like to collaborate with other scientists from specialized backgrounds to like, gain experience experience in a wide array of skills from like computational to translational methodologies. Thank you, Wendy. You're welcome. So I'm a rising senior, so I'm not going into grad school in the fall, but I am currently looking at graduate programs and I'm really excited to see which ones will accept me. So that's where I'm at right now. Right on. Thank you, Hope. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, go to the next question then. Um, what, for the students and for really the staff, if you want to jump in on this one, uh, what advice would you give to first-generation underrepresented college students who don't believe they could ever accomplish half of what you've accomplished and are hesitant to apply to the McNair Scholars Program? I'm going to go first. I'm excited about this one. Okay, so I would tell them, like, I was once in your shoes and felt the exact same way. Like, don't let yourself be your own worst enemy. Take initiative, find as many opportunities as you can, apply for that scholarship, find resources, 
give back to the community that helped created you, but more importantly, build a support system as early as you can and don't be deetered if it takes a little while to find your people because not everyone is going to be for you, but if you are for you, then you're already one step ahead. Wendy, that is some great advice. Do you want to popcorn over to whoever's, whoever you want to? Oh yeah, I'm all about this call Yes, let's do it. All right, Hope, let's get it. (laughs) So I think that one of the first things I would say is a closed mouth doesn't get fed. If you are, if you're quiet and you don't speak up for yourself, if you don't advocate for yourself, how can you expect someone else to be a mind reader and do it for you? And don't be scared. There, there's no point in being scared. If you don't get it, then you don't get it. Move on. So just keep on pushing forward, working hard. And it seems like a lot in the beginning to be a first generation student. I was, I felt the exact same way. I felt like, oh, this, this is so much work. I'm tired all the time. I'm studying all the time. Will this even pay off? And it does. It really does. So keep persevering, keep, keep working hard and always remember to take care of yourself. A burnt out body is no good for nobody. Wonderful advice. Hope. Who would you like to popcorn to next? Uh, Derek, let's go. Wow, that was some really great advice from both of you. I wonder where you guys were when I was um, because <laughs> I, I definitely need to hear both of those things. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I can totally echo everything you just said, and you guys pretty much covered everything. But I would just say, say yes to, yeah, say yes to everything. I feel like um, a lot of my peers say no to certain opportunities because they feel like they don't have time, and that's that's permissible to. To a point, like if you, you don't want to like, take on too, too much for yourself, you should know your limits, but don't turn down something because of laziness or just um, disinterest because you don't know if that thing may interest you. You don't know all that it has to offer. There's always some inherent value in every opportunity. So say yes. Um, but then as soon as you start getting burned out, say no. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Who would you like to popcorn to over, Derek? Brandon, of course. <laughs> ah, geez. Um, I don't, I don't really know what to say. Uh, since everyone else's advice was really good. Um, I would say probably just, um, be ready to be tired sometimes. Um, but like, just try to like know the difference between, you know, a tired where it's like, okay, I just need like a day or a few hours of a break and, I am legitimately burnt out and I need to like slow down and reduce my commitments. I mean, I guess it's just kind of like, I feel like a lot of people it's like, you know, you're either really afraid or you're, you know, really gung ho about everything to the point where it's like you jump into too much accidentally. So just realizing when you're drowning a little bit, like it's okay to pull back to the four feet level of the pool. You know, it's totally okay. Take it at your own pace. Um, do what you can, but still get some sleep and, you know, make time for non-work things. So, yeah. That's really good advice. Really good advice all around from everyone. How about staff? Any, any advice that you would give to students that are coming up or are, are wanting to get into the McNair program? I all, 
always encourage transparency. Um, I've been fortunate in that throughout my career, there have been a lot of professionals who didn't just um, share their success stories, but also shared their setbacks, their perceived failures, times when it looked like their um, goals were just never going to come to fruition. And so I've modeled that by sharing my own story, my own twists and turns with students. I never feel like I have to put up this facade, like, you know, I've arrived. Um, because at the end of the day, we've all been through something. You know, we've all, I think just about everyone has struggled with self-doubt. We talk about imposter syndrome a lot. Um, there are a lot of faculty, staff, and other professionals walking around who still deal with this day after day and feeling like, you know, they're good enough and they're steadily accomplishing. But even though the world may apply them, they don't necessarily feel inside like, you know, they're really that successful. And so within McNair, I've tried to open up dialogue for us to talk about these kinds of things. So it's not so much really um, saying you that, you know, you can do this, just face your fears or whatever. I mean, we do have those conversations, but just kind of telling our story. And sometimes we will even, we'll do it during informational sessions when we're trying to draw students to the programs. I think the more you can be transparent, the more students can feel connected. Like, okay, I could, I could see myself being around them. Whereas I think if we were all just putting up this front, like we had it all together, not as many students would want to apply to the program because they just wouldn't feel like they could relate to us. So, so that's for me, just creating that space of transparency and telling my story, which has been far from perfect, lots of twists and turns and ups and downs and, you know, but it's also the reason why I'm here in this world today. So there's nothing wrong with just telling the truth. Thank you, Dr. Motley. Sonita or Anthony. Um, I'll say that I, I mean, everyone took everything that I was thinking about, <laughs> but no, I echo each and every one of you. Um, and I would say, be true to yourself. Um, if I think someone else already said that, but I will <laughs> say that again, that be true to yourself and know where you're going. Um, and don't forget where you came from. Good advice. And, and I really just piggyback off what everybody said. Um, everybody said some really good things, and I agree um, with all of those things for sure. Thank you, Anthony. So I'm going now to pivot to Dr. Motley. What has been the most rewarding aspect of being the director for the SLU McNair program? Yeah, so I think I touched on it a little bit before, but didn't go into as much detail. Um, you know, a lot of times when you're in a leadership role or you move into a leadership role, you inherit a staff, and I did not. Um, Brandon had mentioned uh, that there was a McNair Scholars Program at SLU some years ago, and we don't know all the details because it preceded everybody that's on the Zoom. So uh, all we know is that the uh, program was not um, refunded. And so there were a few years there without a... Slew McNair, and it really made us doubtful in our department that when we applied for the grant that we would even get it. So that, that mm. also added to that element of surprise when I'm walking around the, the track of the gym, yeah. like, oh my gosh, is this real? So 
to go from that and sort of really having a period of uncertainty, then feeling like there's a dark cloud, you know, because of what happened in the past. And there were people that didn't know me, had never heard of me and was like, who is she? You know, they were very much tied to the previous administration. Um, working with partner institutions. I, I remember having a conversation with uh, a, a very high-profile administrator at Harris Solo, Dr. Tommy Turner, and she came to one of our information sessions, and she kind of was looking at me and Anthony sort of side-eyed because she really wanted to make sure that we were going to take care of her scholars, her students. Oh, yeah. So a lot of it was building trust, mm-hmm. was pushing through the um, – maybe doubts not only that I had within myself, maybe that other people had of me and of our program, coming up with that first application, uh, hiring Anthony, um, you know, just really being able to build from the foundation. The grant was like my blueprint, but to sit here today and look at all these wonderful faces and know everything that's been accomplished has been amazing. It's also been truly gratifying to me. I I started off my career as the sort of the quote unquote baby. And now I'm the elder and I'm probably telling on myself, but I am, I've got everybody, well, I'm not sure about you, Ron, but among my crew, (laughs) I've got everybody by at least 20 something years. And so um, to have a young staff that walk the top, both Sunita and Anthony are working on their doctorates. They're excellent role models. I can see them really stepping into leadership and just blossoming in their roles to look at the scholars, some of whom didn't even want to get up in front of a podium and speak and have gone on and accomplished amazing things. I've seen them present at conference. I've heard them present. Um, It's just been so gratifying. And all of this has happened within the span of two and a half. (laughs) Well, it's coming up on three years now. So it has not been a long time, but there's just been so many wonderful things that have taken place. And this has truly, truly been rewarding for me. Thank you, Dr. Motley. I'm going to pivot now to Anthony. Anthony, I did a little bit of research on you. I saw your website. I looked into your LinkedIn a little bit. Um, and you've had a great career in academics so far, and you've done research on educational impacts of TRIO. What areas interest you the most in higher education? Yeah, um, so I like any type of work that focuses on uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm really centered around that. Um, but I'm really, really... Um, I'm really a big advocate for um, black males in higher education, right? So my dissertation is looking at the academic and social experiences of first-generation black male McNair scholars doing their first year doctoral study at predominantly white institutions. Um, And what really got me interested in that work is uh, working in McNair as one, but also two, being a black male in a um, doctoral program. So if you look at the data over the last... um, 10 years from the National Science Foundation on um, the survey on earned doctorates, um, black males have earned the least amount of doctorates um, when compared to their white, Asian, and um, uh, other counterparts, and um, even um, including um, black women. So there's not a lot of um, black male um, doctoral students overall in general. And also, too, when you look at when you look at um, the research done on McNair scholars programs, 
um, over two thirds of the, of the McNair participants are women. So there is a really, really small population of um, males overall in general, and even a smaller population of uh, black male um, McNair scholars. And a lot of the work that's done on black males throughout the educational um, pipeline and system really uses a um, deficit kind of framework. And my uh, research will use a um, anti-deficit uh, framework. I really want to, you know, um, highlight um, all of these uh, great, you know, first-generation Black male uh, McNair scholars there are, that are now in uh, doctoral programs across the country and really talk about their experiences uh, with their faculty mentors, their experiences with their peers, their university community, and then um, also to uh, their perception of their um, professional identity, uh, you know, because when you look at society now with everything that's um, going on with police um, brutality, when you look at um, how black males are portrayed and um, on TV and, and society, they're either looked at as um, um, athletes, um, thugs, not that much interested in, in education when compared to their counterparts. So I really want to show um, that, um, that the other side of my research and as I continue to grow, um, continue to um, um, grow in my uh, career. And lastly, I, I just want to um, highlight um, some of our um, black male McNair scholars that have recently graduated in um, our program, right? So we have had uh, six um, black male McNair scholars uh, graduate between 2019 and 2020. And um, out of the six, uh, five of them are going straight on to uh, graduate school. Um, two of them are in uh, master's programs. Uh, two of them will be in um, um, doctor programs this fall, and both of them are on this call right now. And one of them is actually going to get his JD. So I really want to highlight that um, because we don't hear a lot about that when it comes to black males. But I was excited to see that when I looked at you know our data to know that uh, we, we have five black males uh, uh, within the past uh, two years go straight on to graduate school and are in master's and PhD programs across the country. So that's really exciting for me and our program in general. Anthony, thank you so much for sharing that and for talking to us about the research that you really want to delve into and continue exploring. I appreciate that. And then... Uh, yeah. Uh, for Sunita, what was the motivation behind you going to McNair, uh, specifically at SLU? All right. So <laughs> to be honest, first was the assistantship, right? Who doesn't need help with college tuition? And that's what McNair did for me. <laughs> right? So I'm forever grateful because because of McNair, I was able to finish uh, my master's with uh, less loans than I would have finish with. <laughs> so I am, I'm grateful for that. So that was, um, the first motivation, but then I, so I didn't know much about McNear. I heard of trio, but was not very familiar with them. So I didn't know much about McNear, but when I was told about the position, I went and did some research. And so I read on, on it a little, and, um, I was like, man, how come I well, like, why was, wasn't this presented to me when I was in college? And then I realized that, no, Sunita, because you went to a PWI and they didn't have that. <laughs> right? Um, so it's like, okay, well, it would have been nice because everything that we're doing for our scholars here, I had to learn it on my own and I did it for myself. Um, and so the road was, it was pretty tough um, for me 
um, going on to graduate school right after college because I didn't have you know, the guidance that our scholars have. So that alone motivated me to want to, to work for McNair because when my mentor uh, presented the position to me, she said, check it out and see if this is something you, you want to do. So of course the, the financial component was huge for both of us because she was, she's been looking, she like, like I told you before the, this recording started, like she has been an advocate for me. So she's like, we need to pay for your, for your master's program. And school wasn't giving me enough money. So that financial piece was huge. But then she said, however, look and see if this is something you want to do. Because yes, the financial piece is there, but what are you benefiting from it a- apart from that? Yeah. And then I realized that, okay, I want to do this. Um, I'm going to email Dr. Motley. I want to get involved because um, this is this is what I had to do for myself. Um, and that's what this, like, I feel like I've had this experience and I had to teach, learn, I mean, I had to teach myself all these things. And that's what the, this program is doing for these, for these scholars. And, and also I saw that this was an opportunity for me to also learn um, mm-hmm. from, from people that have had experience, you know, um, from Dr. Motley and Anthony, uh, it's like, this is an opportunity for me to learn from them as well. Um, and being the graduate assistant, um, I have learned so much like management skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in public health, people tend to forget, people tend to think like, oh, it's all like health focused, but there's a huge management component to public health. So that that's been a blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Sunita. So I'm, now I'm going to ask this question and sorry, staff, this is going to cause you to be quiet for a while. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Um, but for the students, I wanted to ask you, what was your most challenging or what was an obstacle for you uh, either before McNair or during McNair? And we can popcorn this if we want. I'll go first. I, I definitely think it was uh, public speaking for me. Um, it's something that I definitely dreaded all my life. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but the way that McNair kind of forced me out of that was um, through the, what was it? The McNair Symposium, the end of summer McNair Symposium. And uh, you know how my philosophy is to say yes to everything. Uh, Dr. Miley came to me with the opportunity to give uh, like a speech at the, at the symposium um, about my experience and what McNair meant to me, that sort of thing. And yeah, so I said yes, as soon as she, she offered it to me. And I was, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll be able to do this. <laughs> this seems like a thing I'll be able to do. Um, but come the day of the symposium, the morning, I should say, um, and I went to straight to her office. I was like, uh, Dr. Motley, I don't think I can do this. I haven't actually written this speech. Uh, I was stressing about it. I wasn't able to think about anything. I'm just so nervous. And she was like, Derek, we already printed out. <laughs> we already printed out the program sheets. Your, your name is already on there. There's no going back. <laughs> I was really expecting some sort of sympathy like you know i i get it you're not ready nope he was like you gotta, you gotta do it, do it. <laughs> we're not wasting that much paper so so here we are uh the day of the symposium uh and they call my name up there to do the speech i had jotted down a few things onto my smartphone a few bullet points and i spoke off the cuff about my true honest feelings and 
and behold, I actually, I pulled it off. It was actually a pretty good speech. If I don't say so myself, I kind of killed that speech. Nice. Um, um, and yeah, so after then on after, I jumped at every opportunity to give um, some public speaking, um, whether it be a conference presentation or uh, talking to a group of students about academic opportunities in my department at school. Um, and yeah, so it's something that I'll never uh never take for granted again is the ability to speak to a group of people and change their perceptions about a specific topic. So it's something that I, I, that I hope to continue throughout my um, academic career and something I, yeah, yeah, I want to help other people uh, adopt as well. Absolutely. And Dr. Motley, if you have a copy of that speech, we'd love to, we'd love to have a copy of that. <laughs> that was a missed opportunity. Sorry. We didn't, we didn't record it, but he was amazing. I, I can attest to that. Right on. All right, Derek, who would you like to see go next? Let's, let's go Brandon. He's been eyeing me this whole time, so I'm just going to go <laughs> Wow. Um, okay. Uh, as far as my, oh man, a challenge. I, I feel like my biggest one was definitely going into a, an entire research project um, without having worked in anyone's lab ever before. Um, it's, it's literally just kind of like that initial jumping point kind of thing when you're on the diving board and it's like, you know, if you want to do this, you got to jump in the pool eventually. But you know, um, those moments where you actually have to jump in the pool are really scary. Like that. I don't know. There's a video of like some kid somewhere on the internet and it's like, he's trying to learn how to dive into a pool and he literally starts shaking on the diving board and, you know, and all of that. Um, so that was pretty much what that was for me. But then mm. it was just kind of just like Derek. I mean, it's like, you know, you're already, you got in, you got the thing you're gonna, you're, you gotta do it. You know, um, you're gonna move into the dorm during the summer on this day. So you're already in it, you know, um, just go for it and make the best of it. And, um, as far as support was concerned, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, they just, it wasn't like as though the McNair staff were just like, all right, well, you know, that's, that's too bad. Just move in and do it, you know? Um, but it was, you know, definitely very, uh, warm, uh, and much more tender than that. Um, and much more supportive than that. And, you know, just being able to go to Dr. Motley, to Anthony, um, and to, you know, um, my own mentor and uh, just kind of everything else that was there and be like, you know, Hey, I'm afraid of what we're doing and I am scared and I am really nervous about getting IRB approval. Like, Oh my God, a board is a board of someone is going to judge what I'm doing and everything else. And, and it was just kind of like, it's okay. You're going to do fine. Cause you know, you can get through it on, you know, and it was great and it ended up being great. So um, I can also say that Derek's speech was absolutely hilarious that day. Unfortunately, I did not <laughs> a uh, recorded version of it. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, who would you like to popcorn over to? Um, let's go with Wendy. I got to get you back. I got to do it. Sorry. Ah, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so here comes imposter syndrome again. Um, like Dr. Motley said, like people deal with this their whole lives. It never goes away. You just kind of get better at dealing with it, right? So there was a time in the beginning and even throughout the program that I didn't feel worthy of being a scholar. Like 
I didn't think I was smart enough, that I was experienced enough. But to be honest, what really got me through it was that first piece of information that you never really get through it. And just talking with my fellow cohorts, sorry, cohorts and support staff, they like just made me realize and gain assurance that time and time again, that I, that we have what it takes. And it's just part of the process of becoming something great. And just to, you know, essentially just trust the process. I like that. Very good. Thank you very much, Randy. You're welcome. And now we have Hope. We'd like to get you free. Yep. So before McNair, I was battling homelessness. And I remember I was starting school, my college career in a hotel room that I had to share with my mom and my younger sister, which we all wanted our own space so badly. And I remember like having a home for the first time and being able to say, well, let's go to my house and having a, having my own bed, having my own door, having a bathroom that worked kind of. So getting over that was probably one of the hardest parts before McNair. And then after McNair, it was kind of like, as Wendy said, getting over imposter syndrome because I genuinely felt like who, who's going to want to listen to research from some poor black girl or I don't think I can do this because everyone is so much smarter than I. And I've kind of gotten over that to where I'm a lot more confident to where I will voice my opinions in my research. Like you will hear me speak. You may not like it, it. but you, (laughs) and I'm kind of working on it bit by bit. And my confidence is growing in my research And I'm just so blessed to have such a wonderful support system at home and with Dr. Motley and Anthony and Sunita and being able to say that I worked alongside these wonderful other students that are going on to such wonderful things. So I'm, I'm blessed to put it, to put it simply. Thank you, Hope. And I'm going to, I'm going to have you hold on because I'm going to ask you this question and then I'll popcorn it out to the group. So you'll be the, I'm saying you'll go first on this question. Uh, what makes Slu McNair unique to you personally? I feel that Slu McNair pushes you. Like as Derek said, they aren't going to feed, they aren't going to hand feed you your opportunities. They expect you to advocate for yourself and to learn how to advocate for yourself. And I can speak from experience. It's not easy, especially like when you're in a room and you're the only person of color, you really got to build up those confidence skills and they teach you that they're willing to work with you. And eventually like they take the tricycle wheels off and they push you on the bike. And I feel like that's something that I've never seen in a, in a program before the way that they want you to grow the plans that they have for you, the, the expectations, especially that they have for you is just something that I've never seen before. And I'm just so grateful that I get to learn from such awesome, awesome individuals. Thank you. Hope. Who would you like to throw it over to? Uh, Brandon. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just always the first popcorn. Um, (laughs) I would say that For me, I definitely think that the fact that our McNair program services so many different schools is probably the 
at least for me, it's one of the stronger points because of the fact that you get so many different perspectives from, you know, other schools um, versus other schools in the uh, other programs in the country that focus specifically on one school. Um, I would say that the mixing and mattering of, um, you know, folks from, you know, Harris Stowe and SLU and Wash U and Font Pond and, you know, eventually UMSL, um, just overall make the program that much better um, just because of the fact that you have all of these different schools cultures as well within that main cohort of McNair scholars. So it's not just, you know, Billiken McNair scholars or, you know, um, you know, any one specific group, but you're getting that different um, perspective overall mm-hmm. from the entire St. Louis area, which is really yeah. great. Thank you, Brandon. No problem. Who do you want to throw it over to? Um, let's go with uh, Derek because he's shaking his head no. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that one coming. Uh, I think what makes us unique, well, they pretty much took what I was going to say, but I feel like I thought about it a little bit more as he was speaking, and I was like, what makes us unique is our staff. We've got Sunita, we've got Anthony, and we've got Dr. Modley. Our staff Aww, is what makes awesome. us unique. Um, these people are so different altogether. Like they come up with a plan and they implement it. They don't shy away from, you know, um, from adverse. Ad- I don't know the actual, exact word I'm trying to use here, but they don't shy away from something that would, uh, that would otherwise put people um, into fear and not, not letting them go for these huge opportunities. So like the McNair ambassador program, gateway to McNair, these things are completely new. I've never heard of another McNair uh, program implementing these sorts of things. So the sort of newfound approaches to, to going for um, success, general success, and being so invested in, in student success. Right. And Wendy, Wendy's next. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Let's go with Wendy. Okay, so I have a two-word response to this question, and it is the people, like, there will never, there will never be another McNair program like this one. Like there ain't nobody like Dr. J. There ain't nobody like Anthony. There ain't nobody like Cindy. There ain't nobody like any of us. Like that's just how it will always be. And there's nothing that can compare to that. Like we're just a bunch of go-getters and that's what it's, that's what it is. That's what it's about. That's what we do. And that's what we're going to keep doing. And once we're all in leadership positions to influence the next generation of people, that's what they're going to be too. That is an amazing response, Wendy. And all of you had amazing responses uh, to this, the, the great work that Slew McNair is doing and everything that you're all about over there. Uh, I do have a two-part question. Uh, so education is still a widely debated topic whether it's funding universities or funding education programs like TRIO, uh, what would be your one, what would be your pitch to keep the McNair Scholars Program at SLU? And what more can SLU do to support McNair Scholars Programs? Anyone can take that question. I'll, I'll start. Um, if, if I was to talk to Freddie P., our president, at SLU, I would say if you really are talking about diversity and if you really want diversity and it's more than just you talking about it and you want action, you will keep this program. You, if you really want to see change happen, if you really want to see people of color really take the reins in education, 
then you will allow a program that does just that. Like before I went to SLU, I had never seen a, a black doctor, a black person with a doctorate degree, period. And I, and when I realized that, I realized just how sad that was. There was no reason that Dr. That Dr. Motley should be the first person that I see with a black doctorate. It's, it's insane. And as far, and if, and as far as support, if they really want to support McNair, they'll fund it more. There are so many opportunities that can be done with more money. And I feel like that proper support financially can open up so many more doors that are needed for such an amazing program. So that, that's just me, but you know, <laughs> Hope you're getting a lot of clapping reacts all over zoom and <laughs> a lot of agreement. Absolutely. Who else would like to answer that question? I'll go ahead and take a stab at it. Um, I would say that, you know, if we're specifically talking about SLU, definitely it, like the McNair Scholars Program in and of itself helps with their, you know, uh, Jesuit mission. The, you know, the whole idea of take of, what is it, uh, cure personalis, you know, where you take care of the whole person. Um, you know, sponsoring uh, development within the, you know, professional or the uh, graduate uh, experience for under, you know, underrepresented graduate for underrepresented undergraduates, it, it fits in con way too conveniently to stop doing it. You know, it, it's, 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 it's something that they can do, um, you know, again, like with focusing with funding and everything that is, it's, it's quite literally an opportunity for them um, to really put, you know, I mean, put the resources where their mouth is and just kind of, you know, really, and uh, develop and um, help flourish that whole human being, that whole person um, within these underrepresented communities and areas. Oh, the, the, it was, it, there was a two-parter, was it not? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Brandon. I would say that, you know, it, it, just like Hope was saying, more funding, um, you know, and letting people just kind of have more creative control on what exactly that look, you know, what exactly that um, support, what exactly those opportunities and things look like, um, whether it be, you know, just a good old movie night with a cohort and then, you know, you write a little response about it or have a good discussion table, a round table about it, or uh, trips here and there for grad school programs, um, you know, when those are more safe to do and all of that kind of good stuff and just kind of making those opportunities uh, more available. Awesome. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, no problem. I guess I can chime in. Um, I do see it as being a social justice issue, um, really leveling the playing field by not only creating more access for uh, black, brown, underrepresented, highly intellectual individuals when it comes to higher education and um, beyond, you know, so all the way through graduate school, even beyond. It's an access issue, it's an equity issue, it's a social justice issue, um, and you really can't say that you believe in these things if you aren't actually taking the measures to 
bring them to fruition. I mean, you can post messages on Instagram, you can you can preach diversity, access, equity, all that all day long. But at the end of the day, students are going to be looking for like, what are you actually doing to support me? Mm-hmm. And so uh, McNair, really all the trio programs on our campus, but definitely McNair provides that level of, of access. I mean, first, it shows students that, you know, you're, first of all, let me show you something that you could actually achieve that maybe you didn't even think of, you know, mm-hmm. to be on your wildest dreams that you could actually attain a PhD. But now we have people who are doing it, who've done it, who are here to support you. Like that is such an awesome thing. I do want to say in response to the second question, um, I've struggled a lot with bringing awareness to our campus community about the McNair Scholars Program. We struggle in our department with bringing awareness to the campus community about um, our department. (laughs) And it's always amazing because we have to reach out even to admissions and say, hey, can you remember to mention us, you know, when um, you're talking to prospective students or incoming students and even then making sure they get the messaging right. Because sometimes depending on who's leading the tour or who's giving the speech, they may miss some key details that could really um, be a deciding factor for a lot of um, young scholars. And so I do a lot of the messaging and I mean, part of my role really is to be, like the PR person, but the amount of time and energy that I spend on doing that is, mm-hmm. is I can't even begin to explain. If I, if I didn't um, have that background in journalism and love to write and love to really celebrate and uplift other people and especially our scholars, I don't, I mean, for me, it's almost like an outlet, you know, but um, for someone else, gosh, it is it's hard. You know, I've had maybe one article that was done on us that I didn't write. <laughs> mm. so everything else uh, has been, you know, me just working hard to utilize those skills and that background to publicize what's going on. And so people will say things to me like, oh, I saw another one of your posts on LinkedIn, or oh, I saw another one of those articles. But guess what? This is a DIY, it's a do-it-yourself uh, initiative. And I feel like I have to do those things because if I don't, no one else will. Mm -hmm. So I would love to have um, some more support and people who take as much pride. And I'm not talking about people that are on this Zoom. I'm talking about at SLU, at our partner institutions, who Mm -hmm. take as much pride in the work that we're doing and all of the amazing things that are coming out of the program as we do. Dr. Martley, thank you so much. Sure. Uh, if you all don't mind, I would like to um, move us along a little bit on the questions. I want to be respectful of y'all's time, and I know that we're already kind of over, about half an hour over. Uh, Dr. Motley, would you like me to just jump into the last two questions, or do you still want me to go ahead and extend it? You can go ahead and just jump into the next. Okay. So uh, for the students, uh, what's next for you? What career f- fields do you wish to be in, and what it sex- excites you most about the field that you're in? I'm going into ecology, evolution, and conservation biology, uh, <laughs> and I'm very excited about this program because I've always had like a intrinsic fascination with nature and animals, and um, to be able to pursue this in a career and like really ask my own questions about this 
about this field, it, it's it's like my my best dream ever. Um, and I I'm so glad that I'm in the midst of it, that I'm about to live it, that I'm um, like on a new frontier, so to speak. Um, and uh, uh, where do I wish to be in in the future? I really have no idea. I, that's where I kind of identify with Brandon on that level. Like. I don't really know what I want to be when I grow up. I know generally what I want to do. I want to somehow be out in the field in nature asking my ecological research questions. But I'm not sure exactly in what facet. Um, however, I do know that I wanted to have a component where I'll be able to um, be a visible leader in my, in my field and in my community so that I'll be able to sort of indoctrinate other students into STEM fields um, these fields are usually ones that are, I guess, um, prone to exclude people who look like me. So um, if, as long as I'm there to provide that inclusive factor, I feel like that, that's when things will start to change. Things don't really change until I see it. So, yeah, that's what I, that's, that's what I feel. Thank you, Derek. Okay. Uh, I Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. All right. Um, I was going to say that um, as far as my field is concerned, I, um, I came into undergrad uh, completely undecided, had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and I took a, my first psychology class and I just kind of said, okay, that was cool. We'll see where this goes. And, but through the process, it's just been such a great way to just kind of explore those questions about like, why do people do what they do? Um, is particularly in our current world and, you know, how the way we live and how interconnected but distant everyone is from each other. It's just such a weird dichotomy to like kind of navigate for, I feel like a lot of people that we don't really think about too much. You know, we just kind of do it, but it's just kind of like, you know, it's weird that like, I'm burned out from Zooming all day versus like actually going to a meeting physically, you know, it's, it feels different. It definitely mm -hmm. feels different. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of like, you know, all those different ways where technology meets, you know, human interaction and, you know, the, what we do. And um, yeah, that's the really weird part. That's the really interesting part. Um, as far as what do I want to do? I mean, it's like, at this point, I'm just ready to try a lot of different things like I was doing with majors and seeing what sticks and what I really go, wow, that's really cool. I want to keep doing this um, rather than just this, um, it's, you know, rather than just like an innate drive for this one thing I want to do. I Like I really want to teach or I really want to do research or I really want to do this. I'll just try it all and see what I like. I like that. Very good response there, Brandon. Thanks. either Wendy or Hope. So I guess I'll go next. I plan on getting my master's and then my PhD in speech language pathology. And I'm just so excited to research neurocognitive disorders and how those affect speech, just because the brain is such an interesting place to live in and be. And I would really like to work with kids just because like, I'm a kid at heart. Like I'm, I'm this massive five-year-old in a 21 <laughs> body it feels like i love glitter i love unicorns i love finger paint like you name it i'm into it and i'm just so excited to see what 
my education and what I've learned from McNair and Trio leads me because I feel like though, like there are skills that I've learned here that I don't think I couldn't gotten anywhere else. And it's just, I'm so excited to like give that to the kids I work with to show them that anything is possible and that you don't need to think about your past or anything like that to set you back. All you got to look at is your present and what you want your future to be. So I'm excited to share what I've learned from Dr. Motley and Anthony and Sunita to kids that I've worked to kids that I will work with. Right on. Thank you. Hope. Okay. So I guess I'm next. So, uh, my plans are getting my master's, then my PhD, and then hopefully becoming a PI. But uh, one of the things that kind of come along with that is the social change aspect. You know, there, there are many underrepresented groups in STEM. And if I can propagate that change or even get, you know, more people to care and um, get that change from the inside of the institutions to work towards like a a more equal educational opportunity, like Dr. J was saying, for all works of life, I think, you know, that is going to be what's next for me. Like, it, it excites me the most that there's so much work to do in discovering the unknown. So, like I said, I'm a neuroscience major, but what I'm really interested in is neuroendocrinology. And that's a relatively new field, and it has, like, tons of potential to discover therapeutic targets to help, like, not with only treating diseases, but my main thing is to prevent these diseases that results in poor qualities of life. And to me, like, there's no better educational pursuit or time well spent. Thank you, Wendy. So now I have one last question. This is, goes out to the entire group. This is the most important question that I've asked so far in this podcast what hobbies or skills have you picked up since being uh, quarantined in this pandemic? And it cannot be Netflix related. I'll go first. Um, like I said earlier, I've been cooking a lot. <laughs> I've been cooking a lot, actually. Even my mom is surprised because even though, yes, I, it's a skill that I do have, I don't enjoy doing it, but apparently I needed COVID to no, I need a coronavirus to start enjoying to cook again. So <laughs> yes, I've been cooking a lot. <laughs> well, the other day uh, I just declared that I am a collage artist. I'm a collage artist. <laughs> Dr. Motley. Yes. <laughs> I, I was going to say the collage that you submitted to promote this episode that we were going to use for marketing, such a beautiful collage. I don't know if everyone has had a chance to see it. I was such a wonderfully me. done collage. It was so beautifully done. So we're going to use it for our marketing uh, materials. Awesome. Thank you. And, and I, I was kind of saying that in jest, but I do think that, um, well, everyone knows, both Anita and I share a love of photography and, um, for me, it's not just the pictures, but putting them together in such a way that really creates something even more beautiful. And so um, it's a way for me to relax and also add to my photo archives. I love to look back on some of the collages and just photos in general and reminisce about some of the amazing experiences I've had with the scholars and just in my life in general. Thank you, Dr. Motley. Who else would like to go? 
for me, it's reading and writing. <laughs> These are things that, you know, I would I would be doing like all throughout my academic career, but it's different when you're doing it for fun rather than a requirement for a grade. So just sort of reclaiming that ability to read and write for fun, writing down your thoughts or reading a novel that you always wanted to get into but never had the time. Those are things that I've like reclaimed, not new things, but things <laughs> that I've reclaimed. Derek, I relate to that so much in that when I completed my master's in 2016, I, I was so burnt out with reading and research that it took me a couple of years to get back into just leisure reading and to reclaim that and say, all right, I, I, I really like doing that part. That's really an as, uh, aspect of my identity that I liked. So I agree with that 100%. Um, I also picked up reading and writing. Um, actually took a like writing fiction course this past semester um so yeah that was it's i mean i've had a lot of time to practice and do all that kind of stuff i'm you know i think i think i've bought like at least 10 12 i don't know books of just stuff that i'm like oh that looks neat put it in my cart and um all of that good stuff where it's just like okay i have the time so i might as well do it before i don't have any so um you know, hopefully we'll be able to manage out some time to keep doing that. But realistically, it's going to be much less than right now. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, I've also been reading a lot. I've been able to start reading Stephen King's It, which is a massive, massive book. And it's very interesting to see how reading a horror novel about a killer clown can turn you away from the horror movie that is 2024. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best comment so far. I love it. <laughs> well, I'll go next. Um, Absolutely. I, um, before COVID-19, I would always go to the gym a lot, especially during my uh, lunch break and stuff at work. I like, I like fitness in the gym. Um, so I've been coming up with creative ways to try to stay, you know, active and, and, and fit and all that good stuff at home. Um, me and my wife, we like to uh, go on walks with um, my dog and stuff a lot, especially um, since the weather and stuff has been a lot nice lately. And um, just like, um, um, other people have um, mentioned um, I've been doing a lot of um, reading too as well. Um, a lot of things that I read are, um, for leisure are still centered around um, higher education because I, I like it a lot. and I want to continue to even develop my skills even beyond um, what I'm learning in the classroom and as far as my dissertation work. So I've been doing a lot of um, side reading when I um, uh, can too as well. So I would say those are uh, my top three things that I've uh, really been um, doing um, on the side since COVID-19. Thank you, Anthony. Did we get everybody? I want to make sure we got everybody to contribute. Now I feel really bad because I feel like everyone has been reading and writing. <laughs> <laughs> Cooking and eating. I have not. <laughs> okay, okay, good. <laughs> so, let's see. What have I been doing? I have not been reading and writing. I've been more on a kind of... Uh, introspective lens trying to reflect and ask myself some hard questions that normally I would just kind of put off to the side like oh I don't have time that's not important so 
making my mental health and physical health has been a priority for me lately. Um, I've been doing a lot of singing and painting. I've became a professional sleeper and I've been eating a lot of Chipotle. <laughs> I like that, Wendy. Thank you so much uh, for sharing. Uh, I want to once again, thank you all for being on the podcast. This was such a unique experience, not only for us, but for our audience. Uh, once again, this is the McNair Scholars Program at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. I want us to go ahead and sign off uh, all of us, one by one, uh, starting with the students and then the staff, if you could just, again, tell us your name and your program, and for the staff, your name, your title, and uh, yeah, we'll sign off that way. Who first? You. Okay, my name's Wendy Teal. I am now a master's student of biology at St. Louis University. Thanks for having us. Bye. Uh, my name is Brandon Hughes. I'm a PhD student in the social psychology program at St. Louis University. Thank you for having us. My I'm Derek, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Derek McFarland, a PhD student in ecology, evolution, and conservation biology at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity. My name is Hope Conyers. I'm a rising senior in communication sciences and disorders at St. Louis University. And thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been fun. I'll go next. <laughs> Uh, my name is Sunita Manu, and I am the graduate assistant for the McNair Scholars Program at St. Louis University. Thank you so much for having us. This has been great. And I am Dr. Jamie Motley. I'm the program director for SLU McNair, and it's been a real pleasure. And my name is Anthony Parker Gills. I'm the academic coordinator for the McNair Scholars Program, and thanks so much for having us. Thank you all. It was such an honor on this end to have the Slum, uh, Trio McNair in the podcast. We hope to catch you up, up with all of you in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a Trio program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk Trio. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk Trio. We want to get your story to the public. What a great interview with the Trio McNair program at SLU. I want to thank Dr. Jamie Motley for being on the podcast and for the students and the alum for being on there. Thank you all so much for contributing and for discussing and giving us your perspective of the McNair program and letting us know about your research and where you plan to go from here. The overall conversation was such a great joy to have. I really enjoyed listening to their stories, listening about uh, their research and the things that they're doing individually. And every single one uh, in that podcast, I, I'm, my hope was that they were able to give their voice and um, provide their perspective. Remember, if you would ever like to be featured on Let's Talk Trio, please send, them a, please send us a message via Facebook, Instagram, 
or Gmail. You can reach us at letstalktrio at gmail.com. Let's Talk Trio is all one word. Again, that's letstalktrio at gmail.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando and Student Access, for sponsoring today's episode. If you'd like to be a sponsor for Let's Talk Trio, go over to our Patreon page and donate any dollar amount. If you are a company or organization and would like to sponsor Let's Talk Trio, head over to our Patreon, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you'll see a company sponsorship. You can be a patron for $100 a month, and we will run your ad on the podcast. A quick thank you to the podcast team. John Russell, our editor, music producer, and audio engineer. Amelia Castañeda our producer and marketing manager. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. Honorary members of Let's Talk Trio include Roderick Chambers, Tony Ho, and Scott Kendall. We thank you all very much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.